ordinances, basically the ceremonial law was gone. It was just like they didn't need to practice it because Christ had come. And, you know, that was, that's huge. That was a huge thing for them. And, uh, you know, they looked at the mediation. They looked at this sacrificial uh, system that they had. As that's the way they, they basically they, they kept right with God. And, and uh, their sins were, for, you know, basically uh, through the sacrifices were dealt with. Well, that, that really was a big void in their life. And so the book of Hebrews is, is I think, a lot of it's dealing with that that void and and they and he emphasizes Christ and uh, how important of who he is and what he um, we looked at that in chapter seven and uh, and then if you look in in chapter eight and I, I don't know how much I, I touched on this um, uh, and this unchangeable priesthood and that he wasn't going to die and that he wasn't going to uh, have to give a sacrifice for his own and that he was ever ever present and uh, so I guess tonight what I would like to do is really kind of um, you know work in a way with this with that that you can understand that there's it's an exciting thing that and the you look at the, the Hebrews chapter 11 what the Old Testament saints were able to accomplish and they did that without what we have today. We, they, they didn't have, in a sense, the same uh, system of the Holy Spirit dwelling within. There was times that the Holy Spirit would be with different prophets and whatnot in the Bible. But he says, now I'm going to abide with you forever. Uh, I'm going to intercede for you forever. There, you don't need to make blood sacrifices. That's taken care of. You're, you know, there's this constant relationship with the Father that wasn't always available to them as they had it. But the chapter 11 really gives what they were able to do even with, with what, they, you know, what God had given them. And so the idea being there, is, I think, is how much grander it is in the church. And you think about it, they, they were maintaining their nation and their Jewish heritage and this, you know, in the Jewish nation... But you remember, the Great Commission was what? Go into what? All the world. All of a sudden, that's when, when Jesus says the Greeks came and wanted to find, uh, we seek Jesus. And Jesus said, this is the time that this trans- transition is now going to go into all the world. Now, it took some time after the book of Acts was rolling, but before they really did go into all the world, it took them being persecuted and ran out of of Jerusalem, and they scattered and went everywhere preaching the gospel. But the idea being there is that we need, you know, if we're going to not do it, it wasn't just going to be a nation that maintained a relationship with the Father. This was going to be a huge expansion of, of the work of God. It was not going to be just inclusive to the Jews. It was going to go into all the world and and yet there were Jews all over the world. This was going to be meant to reach people no matter who they were. We see that in the book of Acts. As soon as the Holy Spirit, uh, uh, when they waited and they uh, said, wait into Jerusalem until you be endued with um, the power of God upon high. And then just as soon as it, this dramatic thing that happened and the Holy Spirit entered in and and they spoke in 16 different languages. Immediately, it's going, it's going out into all the world. And so we see that, that the, the need for what, what we have in this New Testament is, is still very necessary. We still have the Great Commission. We still are responsible for reaching people in every crack and corner of the world. Uh, it would be nothing for me as your pastor to think that God would call your sons and daughters to say, you know what, uh, I believe it's the will of God that I, I not just uh, uh, stay in this local assembly, it's the will of God that I take and I, I go beyond this. I can remember, uh, and I'm just kind of rambling, but I want you to, uh, when I remember when I was in the Southern Baptist, First Baptist Church of Paxton, Illinois, and, and I can remember, well, I got my family here, and we got our little church here, and and uh, I was uh, 
the deacon, and I was uh, a Sunday school teacher and uh, church, taught church training, but God just wouldn't leave me alone. There's something bigger going on here beyond these just these four walls of this building, and and I didn't at the time really realize that how big it really was. That God was saying, "Listen, you may not think you have any abilities, and maybe you don't, but He says I would rather you go into all the world or go farther than you are right now. Don't don't underestimate, please." That's not just young people, that's everybody. I mean, you think about it, God, when God started working in my life in a, in a way, I think He was working from the very get-go, but I didn't really, wasn't as sensitive to His leadership until later on. I was 39 when I called into the ministry. I think at one time I was the oldest, oldest individual in Bible college. So don't underestimate what God is wanting to do. Um, look with me in Hebrews chapter uh, eight, 8. We're going to just I'm going to touch on some things here, and then we're going to go over to John. It talks about this in chapter seven of his, um, and I mentioned this I think in verse number twenty-five. He says, uh, verse twenty-four. But this man, because he continues ever, has an unchangeable priesthood. Wherefore he is able to watch, save them to the uttermost that come to him by, by him, seeing he ever liveth to make intercession for them. Now that's, that's that again, he ever liveth to make intercession. He's always available. You think about it. If, if he's, ever, he's always available and he saves to the uttermost, that means that we're, in, and think about it, everybody here is in full-time Christianity. Does that make sense? You're, you're not just a part-time Christian, you're full-time. You're, you're not just here when you're here, it's here when you're at work, you're here when you're on the street, you're where you go, wherever you are, you're in full-time ministry. Change chapter number 8, I'm going to show you a couple of things there. He says... Uh, <clears throat> Verse 5 of chapter 8, who served as an example of the shadow of heavenly things, as Moses was also admonished of God when he was about to make the tabernacle, see that, see that he, <coughs> I'll say it right, for see, saith he, that thou make all things according to the pattern shown to thee in the mount. But now hath he obtained a more excellent ministry by how much also he is a is the mediator of a better covenant, which is promised upon better promises. For if the first covenant had been faultless, then should no place have been sought for the second. For finding fault with them, he said, Behold, the day come, and saith the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel, with the house of Judah, not according to the covenant I made with their fathers in the day... <coughs> When I took them by the hand to lead them out of the land of Egypt, because they what? They didn't keep. They didn't stay with them. They continued not in my covenant. And I regarded them not, saith the Lord. For this is the covenant, and this is the. I believe with all my heart, this is the direction. This whole idea of all the scripture memorization and Brother Barker coming and being with us and guiding us in some of that. He says, he says, I will put my laws in their mind, and what? I'll write them in their what? Their hearts. Now think about that. You know, God is, he said, this is big, this is huge. He said, don't underestimate that the effort that you put in to memorizing and studying and meditating on the Word of God, you can and should be. Abiding in Christ in such a way that you can be used of God. He says, And I will be to them a God, and they shall be my people. And they shall not teach every man his neighbor, every man his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for all shall know me, what? From the least to the greatest. Remember that in the prophecy of Joel? 
He taught, prophesied the, the time that the church would be here, and thy daughters and thy sons shall what? Prophesy. That was a new thing. That every person, you're not going to just have a handful of individuals in the days when you had to they'd raise up certain prophets, and they would, you'd have them throughout the uh, Old Testament. This was something that every person would be a mouthpiece for God. Every person would have the mind of God. Every person would have the heart of God. Every person would have, as we all know, what? The Spirit of God. The Holy Spirit. It's not somebody where you're going to, each one of us have that resident teacher that lives within you. And that ability for God to work in, a, in a, I think, in a great and mighty way. Uh, in our lives, but then also to be able to work that great and mighty way in other lives. Look in chapter 8. And of course, he introduces it in verse 1 by saying, Then verily the first covenant, and also the ordinance of divine service and worldly sanctuary. So it's showing us uh, this is the pattern that he's saying, uh, uh, this is what uh, we're looking, going to be looking forward to. But look down in verse number 11. Verse number 9, trying to find the, the best way to enter into this without reading the whole thing. It says, verse number 8, The Holy Ghost, this signifying that the way into the holiest of all was not yet made manifest, while as the first tabernacle was still standing. So the, the, the greatest plan or purpose was not yet just Manifest, verse 9, which was the figure for the time then present, in which were offered both gifts and sacrifices, could not make him that did the service perfect as pertaining to the conscience, which stood only in meats and drinks and divers washings and carnal ordinances imposed upon it till the time of Reformation. But Christ, being come an high priest of good things to come, by a greater and more perfect tabernacle, not made with hands, that is to say, not of this building, neither by the blood of goats and calves, but by his own blood he entered once into the holy, having made obtain eternal redemption. Amazing change that has taken place. And that amazing change is not is 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 not as a in a sense as a nation or a people, but as individuals. That amazing change is that all of us have this uh, divine ability to do great and mighty things. Beyond what we can even ask or think. It's, and I think that's the scope of it. The Holy Spirit doesn't, doesn't stand back and, and be the one to limit the Christian from doing what he does, but he's the one that is pushing the Christian. That's what, uh, there's not a Christian in this room that doesn't feel like, well, I, I, I feel like I should spend more time in the Word. How many would agree with that? How many say, I, I agree, I really believe I need to spend more time in prayer. So that's, that is, that's been put in there. That's been put in there. Because God has great and mighty things. As it says in, uh, in, uh, in uh, maybe we'll turn there, in Second Corinthians, it's beyond what you could ask or think. It's unbelievable. And even the disciples, when, and we'll, we'll turn to it in just a minute, they thought when Jesus was leaving, he said, Oh man, you can't do this to us. I mean, you know, he, he was their source of truth. He was their, uh, their, their, in their sense, their comforter. He was everything to them. And now he's going to go away? And what did Jesus say? It's more expedient. It's better. <laughs> Listen to me, folks. He says, it's better. He says, if I go not away, the comforter, what? Will not come. He's saying, listen, you thought it was, it was good while I was here. But what's he say? It's better if I, what? Go away. 
So I'm, I want you to enter into that holy of holies, that place called you, where you have your personal time with God and you have your devotion and you're memorizing that book and you say, boy, I'm working at this, Lord. Help me to memorize and make some sense out of this and do so in, in a structured way where I can memorize it topically and, and hide the word in my heart. And then not only am I going to hide it, then let me use it. What have you given me? Let me use it when I'm working with my, with my wife or my husband. Let me use it when I'm working with my children. Let me use it when I'm, when I'm in my church. Because that's the outward. God has put a lot of things in, but He won. He wants some things to what? Come back out. He wants you to go forth. He says, I'm, I'm, I've hooked you. And we went into that in John chapter 7. He says, I've grafted you as a branch into the vine. I purposely hooked you up to myself that you can what? Produce. Not just some fruit, but what? Much fruit. Let's go on just a little farther in this. It says here, and of course the illustration in the Old Testament, they had a lot to do with blood in the Old Testament. In chapter 9, if you will, in verse number 14, he says, How much more shall the blood of Christ who through the eternal spirit offered himself without spot, purge your conscience from dead works to serve the living God. Purge what? What is a conscience? Help me out. What is a conscience? What is your conscience? Somebody tell me, what is your conscience? If God's got to purge some portion of your conscience, what's wrong with your conscience? Things of the past, right? Things of the past keep haunting the what? The things of the future. Your abilities. Stops it up. And he says, listen, when you when you receive Christ and you lay all on the altar. We have that song, right, Brother Glenn? All on the altar is laid. And we say, listen, I, and, and, and all of a sudden, you say, I don't want the past to haunt the future. I don't want what, what was what hindered me and hurt me in the past. I want to get victory over that, forgiveness of that, but not only forgiveness, but a new and living way that, that is going to be nothing to do like it was like it was before, and I won't be accomplishing the same dead works that I did before. Verse fifteen, he says, For this cause he is a mediator of the New Testament by means of death the redemption transgressions that were under the first testament they which are called might receive the promise of eternal inheritance verse number 20 just skipping down through I want you to take some things out of here saying this the blood of the testament which God has enjoined you moreover is sprinkled with blood both the tabernacle and the vessels of ministry and it's talking about the Old Testament and how they cleanse. He says, And almost all things are by the law purged in the blood. Without the shedding of blood, there's no remission. Verse 23, It was therefore necessary that the pattern of things in heaven should be purified with these things, but the heavenly things themselves with a better sacrifice than these. For Christ is not entered into the holy place made with hands, which are the figure of the true, but into the heaven itself, now to appear in the presence of God for who? For us. He ever liveth, what? To make intercession. Basically, who's on your side? God's on your side. How many of you felt like the task or the responsibility is too great? Right? You say, well, I don't And you give up before you get started. But we have a... a because of the blood, and because of that... The fact that it is... It's a purifying, it is the... It makes it holy. 
That all changes. All right. I could go on, but I want to mention a couple more things. We're going to, we're going to actually hopscotch through chapter 10. I want you to look down again. He mentions here in chapter 10, verse number 6, he says, In bird offerings and sacrifices of sin thou hast no pleasure. Verse 7, Then said I, Lo, I come in the volume of the book it is written of me, what? To do thy will. Above when he said, Sacrifice and offering and burnt offerings and offerings were sinned, thou wouldest not, neither hadst thou pleasure therein, which are offered by the law. Then said he, Lo, I come to do thy will, O God, to take away the first, that he may establish the second. Now remember, we just read in chapter 8, he says, I will, in verse 10, I will put my law where? In their minds and in their hearts. We go over here, he says, Then said I, Lo, I come to do, come in a volume of book, it is written of me to do thy will, O God. It doesn't, it doesn't stop there. Jump down. Verse number 12, But this man, after he had offered one sacrifice for sin, sat down on the right hand of God from henceforth, expecting till his enemies be made his footstool. For by one offering he hath what? Perfected forever them that are sanctified. I know you never thought of yourself as being perfect. But in the eyes of God, your ability to please Him is probably fathomless. Notice what it says. Whereof the Holy Ghost, also verse 15, is a witness to us after that he also said, This is the covenant that I will make them after those days, saith the Lord. I will put my laws into their hearts and into their minds. Why? How many times have we read this? He says, That is God's mind. So if you and I would purpose and say, listen, if God's Holy Spirit is there to guide me in this, strengthen me in this, how many, how many remember, how, how passionate is that Brother Dave Barker about memorizing Scripture? How many think he's trying to get something across to us? How many things he's saying, well, I keep telling you this is the way to go. I think you really need to put your heart into it. I think you really need to structure this. I think you really need to organize this. He says, because God will, can, and will use this in your life and overall in life of the church. Again, Notice what he says, and I'll, I'll finish reading this. In verse 17, And their sins and iniquity, while I remember no more, now where remission of sin, these is, there's no more offering for sin. Having therefore, brethren, boldness to enter into the holiest by the blood of Jesus. Do we have the blood of Jesus? Do we? Can we enter in? Should we enter in? You stand on the outside and beg God, will you let me in? Uh, I, I hope you'll let me in. I, I think I'm a pretty... No, do we have to do that? We both, Think about boldness. Do we deserve to go in? No. But why can we go in? The blood. The blood was covering you and me. God wants us to be bold in our, in our access to Him. He says, In a new and living way, have consecrated for us through the veil, that is to say, his flesh, having a high priest over the house of God. He says, I've, I've taken chapter 7, chapter 8, chapter 9, and now even up to chapter 10 to explain to you how important Christ is in our life via the Holy Spirit, the Word of God. And then he gets here, he says, Having a high priest over the house, let us draw near with true hearts, full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience, and our bodies worked with pure water. And then he says, what? Well, hold on. 
And there's three things there, and I'm not, I could preach a message just on that. He says, let us draw near. And 23 says, do what? Let us hold fast. Let us draw near and let us hold fast. We know this is right. We know it's of God. Let me hold on to this. And then it says what? Let us consider one another. We don't go. We're not going. There's no lone ranger Christian. We're going to go together. We're going to. Come, this is a. This is the body of Christ. Isn't there a song by the Glenn that says, "Isn't the church of God like a mighty army, like the church of God?" I can't remember all the lyrics to it. And it just gets all stirred up, right? Wow, just like a. But it's true. He doesn't just work with one individual. He doesn't just work with me or our Han or our Glenn or brother. Uh, listen, he takes every individual, young and old. And he says, listen, you're going to be a part of this mighty army called the Church of God. I mean, you think about it, those, those disciples. I mean, we have, uh, we have Matthew the tax collector. We have Peter and John and James. We're all fishermen, right? And what did they do? Turn the world upside down. You say, is it possible that that we could have that kind of experience? of seeing the hand of God at work in a mighty way where you'd be honored and glorified. I wanted to give you I can't find it this point I know it's right here the scripture talks about it. I have not seen one. You have not heard nor has it entered into the heart of man the things that God has prepared for them that love him. But the God has given them unto what? Us. He has given them unto who? Us. Through his spirit. Like the church of God, right? Amen. So let me encourage you. Turn over to John. I'm not going to spend much time on this. But I want you to see that Jesus was rehearsing this with his disciples. He rehearsed this with the men that he spent this time with. He was giving them, and I, I, I ended this morning talking about the example that he gave them powerful example of saying, listen, if you're following God, you're going to do some great things. You know, great things begin with doing some humble things. Great things is doing something that's not your flesh. You realize that? Great things doesn't mean you're going to see, you're going to go and win President Obama to the Lord. Maybe saved, I don't think so, but maybe. Great things is that you're going to do some things that are very... How many of you say, boy, that, that isn't like you to be like that? Have you ever anybody say that? All right, that's, you know, that's, you, you're not, listen, you're going to do some things that you never ever thought you would do or be. Look what it says. <clears throat> he had a grand plan. He says that the, <clears throat> we're in chapter, I'm sorry, 13, the end of the chapter. He had just finished, and Satan had entered into the Judas Iscariot and had left. And verse number 31, he says, Therefore, when he was gone out, Jesus said, Now is the Son of God, Son of Man glorified, and God is glorified in him. Meaning that. God will be glorified through Christ. If God be glorified in him, God shall also glorify him in himself and shall straightway glorify him. Now, it sounds like a lot of play on words, but it's just basically saying the Father and the Son were one. 
God was accomplishing what they saw in, in Jesus was the Father at work. Hold on, stay with me. In verse 33, little children, yet a little while I am with you. Ye shall seek me, and ye, as I said unto the Jews, whether I go, ye cannot come. So now I say unto you a new commandment I give unto you, that ye love one another as I have loved you, so that ye also may love one another, that ye also love one another. By this shall all men know that ye are my disciples, if ye have love one to another. One of the, one of the and I mentioned this this morning, one of the game changers for people that come into this ministry or into this church as visitors or what, one of the very first things they should notice is how much we care about one another. We really do. We really are. We're, we're, we're here for each other. Notice when it says, Simon's looking at him. You say, well, in verse 36, <coughs> Simon Peter said unto him, Lord, where did you now? And Jesus said, Andrew, whither I go, thou canst follow me, but thou shalt follow me afterwards. Peter said, And Lord, why can't I follow me now? Now you know what, what happens or what Jesus said. He said, Well, I'll, I'll never leave you. I'll, I'll, I'm going to be with you. I'm not going to. And Jesus says, What well, to Peter? You're going to die, I mean. So the first part of this grand design is the love of Christ. That is, that is the grand design. You, you, if you don't have a love for, for, one, for each other and for your, for your own family the way you need to have it, then you're not in a part of that. If you don't, if you don't find in your part, you know, let's take my class, for instance. You say, well, I love my pastor. If you loved him, then you would try to get your homework done, right? How many agree with that? So I, I wouldn't want to disappoint my pastor. Not, not that I know anything else, but I really want to get my, my homework done because I know he's out for my, my good. And, I, and it would be silly for me to say I really care that, about him and what he's, the ministry that he has for me and not really care enough to do my homework. Now this isn't a dig for my kids, it's just the truth. Jesus says, if you love me, I'll keep my what? Commandments. It's going to be a natural thing. I love, so if we love one another, you say, well, we're going to find out what their needs are, and I'm going to find out what I can do for them, and then I'm going to try to meet that because I really do love them. But notice, we don't do it without Christ's help. So if you're not able to accomplish what you're supposed to do, what's missing? What was missing when Jesus, when Peter said, I, I, I'm the, everybody else will forsake you, but I won't. What was missing? Christ. 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 He was doing something that wasn't part of the will of God. He wasn't going to do it in God's strength. And what can we expect if we don't do it that way? What can we expect? Success? Can we expect people to get hurt? Can you expect that, that instead of seeing good things happen out of bad things will happen? So God's grand design is first to love of Christ not your love you love others through Christ and if we don't then we have a failure to follow we see that in verse 8 he says wilt thou lay down thy life for my sake verily I say unto you the cock shall crow until thou hast denied me what three times so how is this grand design executed let's look at some verses together it won't get it won't get very far, but I want to give you as many as I can. Well, so we'll probably just be limited to chapter fourteen. <clears throat> 
He says, I go. Oh, we'll just read down through it. It's probably easier instead of chopping it all up. He says, let not your heart be troubled, verse 1. You believe in God, what? Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I have, so I would have told you. And if I go, I go to go and prepare a place for you. I'll come again and receive you unto myself. That where I am, there ye may be well. I, I'll, I'll tell you how I take this. I've always been puzzled with this verse. And I'm thinking, now here is the Lord that created the earth in seven days. And now he's going to take all this time to prepare a mansion for you? Hmm. Could he not speak it into being? Yes? <laughs> you just speak it into being. You don't have to, to, to like a big effort. Listen. I believe what we see here is not God is going to build you a, 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 a huge, uh, beautiful edifice in heaven. But he's building a work through you here on earth. I'm going to prepare a place for you. How many of you ever read in the Bible where it says, Our conversation is not on earth, but where? Heaven. What is happening on earth is out of our relationship with the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit here on earth. God is doing a work right now through you through me through this church to accomplish his work and his will and he goes down to verse 4 he says whether I go you know and the way you know now you know what happens here Thomas says what what do you mean we know we don't know and what does Jesus say in there and he says that Jesus said, I am the way the truth and life no man come to the Father but by me. If you had known me, you should have known the Father also. Henceforth, you know him and have seen him. You've been witnessing this for three years, Thomas. You've been experiencing the Father every day that you're with me. Why couldn't you see it? Because it is a is a work of faith. Is the things you see faith? That's the things you see are un, the things that are of faith are what unseen. It's the things that that you have that you know God is. It's not when Jesus walked there they could visibly touch and and and, and listen to him. But listen, when it came that Jesus went away, now it's a life of what. Faith. Did they need the Holy Spirit before Jesus was here? No, because they had the Lord. This grand execution. For where I am there, he may be also in verse 3. And that's where I need to be in verse number 6. Where the way, the truth, and the life. In verse number 10, what do we need to do to get there? He says in verse number, <clears throat> he says in verse nine, he says, "Have I been so long time with you, and yet thou hast not known me, Philip?" He said, "He has seen me, has seen the Father, and now says, Show us then the Father. Believest thou not that I am in the Father, and the Father in me? And the words that I speak ye speak to you, I speak not of myself, but the Father that dwelleth in me. He what? He doeth the works." So when you abide in Christ, in Christ, of, hey, who does the work? Who accomplishes that? Again, these are verses I know you've read, but it does us well to read them again. Verse number 11. He says, believe me that I am the Father, the Father in me, or else believe me for the very what? Work's sake. Does you think that this is normal, natural work? Or is this the work of God? Is it possible that people could see your works and say, that's not Glenn. That's not Danny. That's not Mohan. That's what? That's Christ. 
He gives us a very, very, verse 12, following along. Very, very, I say unto you, he that believeth on me and the works that I do, shall he do what? Also. And what kind of works are they going to be? Greater works than these shall he do, because I go to my Father. And whatsoever you shall ask in my name, that will I do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask anything in my name, what? I'll do it. Now either this is true or he just lied to us. Either this can be done and should be done and we ought to pray and ask God, this is a great, great and precious promise. This is what you said the Christian life was and is and this is who I'm supposed to be. Verse number 15. If you love me, what? Keep my commandments. I will pray to the Father, and He shall give you another Comforter, that He may abide with you forever, even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it seeth Him not, neither knoweth Him, but ye know Him, for He dwelleth with you, and shall be what? In you. There's going to be the presence of God that's going to be noticed and felt and experienced. I was talking to someone just recently and I was found them that some really tragic things were happening and they I said, Well, you know the problem is when you're gonna have a tendency to be bitter. Bitter. you what's happened to you, you're gonna you're gonna it's gonna pile up and you're gonna you're gonna you're gonna manifest it in some way it's gonna come out that you are bitter. I mean, you know what I'm talking about. It's just you start thinking of ways to get back or get even. It starts dwelling in it. It starts being a part of your life. I, and I said to this individual, I said, listen, if you have Christ in your life, those things will be present. They will start to dwell up. But you also have what? God didn't say the flesh is not going to manifest itself or try to, right? But you're going to have what dwelling with you? You're going to have the Holy Spirit. Is He going to tell you what you need to do? And is He going to bring back to remembrance the things that you need to, that you've read from the Scriptures? Is He going to do that? At that moment, I says, now, if you are living by faith, and you're going to see the Holy Spirit do something, you're going to do... Here's what my flesh, here's what my feeling, here's what my hurt says to do, but this is what God told me to do. It'll be a strange act because you're going to behave like Christ. You're going to do something not based on your hurt and your feelings, you're going to base something. And guess what happens when you do that? Remember, we, we, this whole idea was talking about what in your life? Peace, right? You can go this way and you can, you can activate your, your, your bitterness and your anger. Will there be peace? Not just a little bit. Don't you? Then there's bittersweet revenge, you know? Doesn't, that, doesn't something come back and you really kind of got something? Hey, I got a little bit of a tingle from that. What happens when you just do this, the opposite, and you say, I'm going to do what I feel the Lord would have me to do? What will, what will be the end result of that? Help me out. It's going to be a sense of rest, isn't it? I didn't act on my emotions or my feelings. I did what I thought God wanted me to do. Tell me this doesn't happen in marriages. It doesn't happen in ours, does it, honey? Your spouse does something that just kind of... Right? And you get ready to go... With your tongue, right? And then you think, now wait a minute. Is this going to be the will of God or my will? Remember the very first avenue that we're going to express this is where. This, this new life that God has given us, this abiding in Christ. Where's the first people that are going to experience it? I'm the public? Where? It can be right here in your home and in your church.
Spirit of Truth in verse 17. Whom the world cannot receive because the city did not need him, but ye know him. Oh, you should. If you're saved, you know him. For he dwelleth with you and shall be in you, and I will not leave you comfortless, and I will come to you. And a little while the world seeth me no more, but ye see me, because I live, ye shall what? You live also. In verse 20, <clears throat> And at that day ye shall know that what? I am in the Father, and ye, and ye in me, and what? I in you. And that day, and that day that you choose, you think of it, I'm going to put this in, in a practical way. That day that you say, boy, this is what I want to do. And yet the Holy Spirit says, no, 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 no. Here's what I want you to do. And you say, well, but I really, I really feel fleshly, very justified in doing this. No, it won't gain you anything. And it's going to hurt the cause of Christ. People are going to see the way you act. That's the way everybody else acts. That's the way everybody else behaves. That's what I want you to do. And you say, oh God, give me the grace. I don't want him. And you say, oh, but it's right. And you go forward. And you go ahead. And all of a sudden you, you accomplish what the world says to do. And you look back and you say, wow, who did that? Who did that? Father, the Father in me. <clears throat> Again, we go back to what we learned in Hebrews. What's it say, brother? Oh, he that hath what? What's it mean to hath his commandments? What do you think that means? He that hath my what? If you've got something hidden in your heart, you have his commandments, right? He that hath my commandments does what? He keeps them. He keeps them. And he that loved me and, and, and he that loved me shall be beloved of my father, and I will love him and I and will manifest myself to him. And Judah saith unto him, not a spirit, Lord, how is it that thou wilt manifest thyself unto us, but not unto the womb? Jesus answered and said unto him, If a man love me, he will keep my word, and my Father will love him, and we will come and make our abode with him. How many think Jesus is all okay with dwelling with somebody that's all in for him? Because yeah, I'm all in for you. And he says, you know what? You just every time you have a choice, you make the choice for me. You choose to live for me. You choose for the verses in the Bible that you know and you understand. You choose to participate in doing what I'm telling you to do. But then there's a contrary wise. And I want to get all the way down to verse 27, and we're done. He that loveth me is not keepeth not my saying, the word which is which he fear is not mine, but the Father which has sent me. These things have I spoken in being yet present with you. But the Comforter, which is the Holy Ghost, whom the Father will send in my name, he shall teach you all things, and shall bring your bring all things to your remembrance whatsoever I have said to you. And again, what's he say? Peace I leave with you, my peace I give unto you. Not as the world giveth you, let not your hearts be troubled, neither let it be afraid. I'm going to close. All the preaching in the world is not going to bring you to the place that we talked about tonight. It's not going to do it. What's going to do it? There has to be a resolve. That I have this available to me. I know I need to spend the time. Whether it's in prayer or in the Word or both. I know I need to remember, I need to work at it. I know I don't have the peace that God wants to give me. 
I know that I spend a lot of my energy being angry and bitter. I'm distracted by all these other things. And I'm missing the greatest thing that is possible for me as a Christian. What do you think, folks? I'm done, but what do you think the chances there is that any good thing is going to happen if we don't follow this basic precept that God gives us of abiding with Christ? What do you think? The, what's the, what do you think the chances of you having a happy home? What do you think the chances of you really being a powerful witness for Christ? What do you think is the chance that your kids will grow up seeing Christ in you? Unless you take the time of this. I think it's... It behooves us to take... I'm going to do what I feel as your pastor. I'm going to really pray for every individual. That God will get a hold of your heart in such a way say, I'm not playing no more, God. I'm not playing with this thing of your word. I'm not playing with this thing of, of memorizing. I'm not playing with this thing of prayer. I'm not playing with this thing of being obedient. I'm not going to play anymore. How many of you have ever reached a, res- a resolution like that with something in your life? You just come to a place. I'm not going to do that anymore. I know what the Bible teaches and I know what I should do. And I know what Christ has promised he would do. I mean, you know what I'm talking about. But we know that. So the only next step is to say, God, please, you start on the journey. doesn't mean you're going to arrive there tomorrow or next week or a month from today, but you're going to step into that place of faith and say, this is who, what it means to be a Christian. But the type of, type of dynamics, we don't see much. But I think, it, I think it's possible. I believe so much so, I believe that if, the, if it if it just be one or two people that would get a hold of this, that we would see revival. That we would see a dramatic change that when people would just stand back in awe and say, that is the hand of God on that earth. They're not the same. Their whole demeanor, their whole attitude, their whole action, everything about them is different. So I'm challenging you as your pastor. Let's see what God will do. Right? Let's, let's, let's see what God might do. Let's, let's say, God, you know, this is what the Word says. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to practice what I've heard. It's up to you. It's up to me. Let's stand as we close. <clears throat> Heavenly Father, we thank you. Lord, we have, as, a, as the New Testament church, have been given something that that all the prophets looked forward to. They, they knew there was something amazing that was going to happen. Uh, we think of this time of year when the, the wise men made the 